Psalm 13 and reading from verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. So this morning we are in Psalm 13. And we're asking that question, how long, O Lord? And uh, some of you might have been... Asking that question in October, how long, O oh Lord, before Richard actually preaches a sermon here at Lum? How long, O oh Lord, till we get another PowerPoint presentation? I know some of you have missed them. Well, the waiting is over, and here we are. How long, O oh Lord? Psalm 13. How long? And this morning I want to uh, remind us of something of a lost art, and that is the lost art of lamenting. When was the last time you had a good lament? When was the last time you had a good lament? What am I talking about? Well, John Altberg in his book, God is Closer Than You Think, says that scholars sort out the Psalms into different categories. Psalms of thanksgiving, wisdom psalms, enthronement psalms. But by far the most common kind of psalm is called the lament or complaint. More psalms are devoted to complaining than any other single category. How good is that? This is good news for some of you. Uh, because I, I, I kind of think that some of you have got this gift of complaining. <laughs> you didn't know it was a spiritual gift, but you've got it. The gift of complaining. But what you didn't realise is actually complaining isn't always a bad thing. And the Psalms are full of words of complaint. So, if you've got a complaint and you didn't know where to go, or you thought you did know where to go, maybe the psalmist will show us that there's somewhere else that we can go. You thought that if you had a complaint, you had to go to the minister. Or one of the deacons. But the psalmist seems to suggest that we should take our complaints a little bit higher than that. The gift of complaining, well, it's not just the Psalms. Job spends most of the book complaining to God. Uh, So does Habakkuk. And so do many other of the Old Testament characters. They knew a lot about the art of lamenting. They might have even said it was good for the soul. How long, O Lord? First of all, I want to think about the problem. Yes, folks, there is a problem. 
There is a problem. And uh, the psalmist, who we think is David, uh, was in trouble. And uh, yes, David, that great man, a man who was called a man after God's own heart, uh, experienced times of trouble and times when things weren't going as well as he hoped. And out of the depths of David's heart, he repeats four times this haunting cry, How long, O Lord? How long? What was the problem? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? David felt that God had forgotten him. Imagine that. This person that that God had chosen as a young lad. Special. This, This young boy who had defeated Goliath. Who had known God's strength in his life at such an early age. And God's choice felt that God had forgotten him. It could be that there are people here this morning that feel like that. That feel that maybe God has forgotten you. If you feel like that, then you're in good company because Joseph, he felt that God had forgotten him for about 13 years. He was left in the wilderness, he was left in prison, he was sold into slavery, and I'm sure he must have felt like God's forgotten all about me. What about Abraham? He waited 25 years. Uh, the promise of a son. But I'm sure he felt during those years that God had forgotten. What about Moses? 40 years wandering around in the desert. And if Moses didn't feel that God had forgotten him, certainly the people of Israel thought that God had forgotten them. And what did they do? They complained. They moaned and they groaned and they complained. And then, of course, Jesus waited 30 whole years before he began his ministry. If you're here this morning and you think that God's forgotten you, then you are in the company of other saints who have also had that experience of feeling that God's forgotten all about me. And maybe in that forgetting, you feel that maybe God doesn't care anymore about me. Well, let's have a look at what David does. The problem, David felt that God had forgotten him. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? David goes on, how long will you hide your face from me? There's more than one problem. To David, God seemed distant. It wasn't just that he'd forgotten him, but he felt that he was far, far away from God. And it could be that there are people here this morning who feel that they are far, far away from God. That God seems distant. That he doesn't seem to hear your prayers. If you're here this morning and God always answers your prayer, every time you you speak to him it, it just seems that there's an automatic answer and a reply. And that every time you open your Bible that words just jump out, then maybe this sermon isn't for you. But if you've spoken to God and, uh, and all you've heard is silence, if you've opened your Bible and, and even the words that you read haven't reassured you, 
then maybe David has something for us. David's problem was that he thought that God had forgotten him and that God seemed distant. But there's more, there's more. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Every day having sorrow in my heart. Some of us know what that feels like. David's life was in turmoil. It's thought, we don't know for sure, but it's thought that this psalm may have been written uh, when David was on the run. King Saul was trying to kill him and he was hiding in caves and uh, he felt that God had forgotten him. He, he felt that God was very distant and his whole life was in turmoil. And how long, it is a question that we tend to ask when things are not going well, isn't it? You know, we don't say, you know, how long have I got to sit on this beach for uh, in this lovely sunny weather? And uh, how long do I have to sail my little dinghy across the sea for? We don't ask questions like that, do we? Uh, but David isn't asking questions like that. He's saying, how long have I got to wrestle with my thoughts? How many of you at night time especially wrestle with those thoughts that are going round and round your head? How many of you feel that you're living every day with sorrow because of the circumstances that you find yourself in? C.S. Lewis, uh, writing after the death of his wife, says, When you're happy, so happy you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all ever help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. Some of us know what it feels like to feel that we've had a a door slammed in our face when we've gone to God in times of desperate need. And we've heard that bolting and double bolting from behind the door. And then nothing but silence. Some of us know what that feels like. And there's more. David is really having a bad day, isn't he? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David's enemies seem to be winning. David was the chosen one. He'd been anointed. But not everybody seemed to get it. And especially his arch enemy, Saul, who was chasing him and had a huge army. And it felt like he was losing. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's how it feels in the church. We look out on the world and it seems like the enemy's winning. It seems like nobody's interested. It seems like uh, fewer and fewer people want to know about God or hear about God. And it feels like... Uh, we're losing. How long, O oh Lord, will my enemies triumph over me? How long, O oh Lord? It's a question we ask in times of trouble. It's a question we ask when things aren't going as we hoped they would go. It's a question we ask when God seems to have forgotten us. It's a question we ask when God seems distant. Last week I went with uh, some of our young people to uh, an event uh, in Manchester and uh, we were worshipping with a thousand people. Imagine that, a thousand uh, young people 
jumping for Jesus. Imagine that. It was loud. A bit too loud for an old guy like me. But you could almost feel the presence of God with all these young people and, and God's word was spoken and people were responding and it was great. Um, but life isn't always like that because you come back and uh, there's not a thousand people worshipping with you. There's, uh, you know, there's, there's 40 or 50 people worshipping with you. And then you go from this place and, and there's just you and your family. And sometimes we experience what David experienced and we say, how long, Lord? How long before you act? It's a question we ask in troubled times. It's a question we ask when we're on that difficult journey that never seems to come to an end. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And sometimes it feels like in church it's a question that is constantly being asked. Are we there yet? Have we really got a hold of what it is that God wants us to do? Or are we kind of scummaging around in the dark? Trying to discover what it is that God wants us to do. How long, oh Lord? And I don't know about you, but I kind of get the feeling that, you know, David didn't ask this kind of, you know, how long, oh Lord? I get the idea that, you know, David might have been a little bit angry when he asked this question. That he might have actually kind of shouted in that cave and so it kind of echoed back at him. Uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, we kind of frown on people that get a little bit angry with God, don't we? And we kind of, we, we, we try and calm people down as if, it, as if it's not a good thing to do. And I don't know about you, but when I've encountered people who've, who've been through real difficulties and they're angry, and they're angry at God. And uh, if ever I encounter people like that, I actually encourage them to be angry with God. And I say, that's okay. You know, God can handle it. People in church might not be able to handle it. Ministers might not be able to handle it. But God can handle our anger over the situations that we find ourselves in. And sometimes it's actually good to lament and actually let our anger out and direct it not towards other people, but to God. Because sometimes the anger that we encounter that's kind of focused on us, people actually aren't angry with us. They're angry with the situation that they find themselves in. But they're looking for some kind of release of that anger and you might just get in the way at the wrong moment. And maybe they don't feel that it's appropriate to be angry with God so they'll get angry with somebody else and it might be somebody very close to them. It might be somebody in the family or somebody at work that they get angry with. And you think to yourself, this person's not really angry with me. They're actually angry because of what's going on in their life. And maybe they just need to hear that it's okay to be angry. So that's the problem. How long, O Lord? Uh, but the interesting thing about this uh, psalm is, is that this psalm can actually help us. Uh, because of the progression, the person doesn't remain uh, in the same place. There's a movement in this psalm and we move from the problem to the prayer. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Look on me and answer me, O Lord my God. And at this moment, I imagine that kind of David's shaking his fist at God. Answer me, God! He demands that God responds. All he's heard is silence. All he's heard is a, all his experiences a door slammed in his face. And he shakes his fist at God and says, Answer me, O Lord my God. 
David prayed to God even when God seemed distant. It's easy to pray and praise when you're with a thousand people jumping for Jesus. It's not easy to pray and praise when you feel totally alone and isolated and you feel that the whole world's against you and you feel that everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. It's not easy. And I'm not even going to pretend for a moment that it is. But the example of David is that even though God seems to have forgotten him, even though God seems distant, even though he's heard absolutely nothing, David prayed to God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. David's prayer was honest. David's prayer was honest. He was at his wit's end. Give me light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. He feels that he's close to death. And if the situation that we described is right, he's not far wrong because Saul was actually trying to kill him. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. It's an honest prayer. Dare we be honest with God? Dare we actually tell God, how we really feel, what's really going on in our lives. Well, hey folks, he already knows. So you're not telling God anything that he doesn't know. And we can hide we can hide stuff away from other people. You know, between gritted teeth when people ask you how are you, you can say, yeah, I'm fine, everything's great. Because we think that's what people want to hear. Uh, but we don't have to do that with God. We can come to God and we can say, well, actually God, it's not okay. Actually, God, we're struggling. Actually, God, this is what's going on. We can be totally honest with God and he won't love us any less. David's prayer was honest. My enemies will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. David speaks of his worst fears. David speaks to God about his worst fears. He tells God exactly how it is and exactly what's going to happen unless God does something. When Jesus was on the cross, amidst his pain and suffering, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He feels that abandonment from God. And what does he do? He quotes a psalm of lament. It's not a bad thing to have in your back pocket, a psalm of lament. Because you can pull it out at the most difficult times in your life and you can actually use it to verbalise how you're feeling. And that's exactly what Jesus does on the cross. He uses a psalm of lament and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm that we read at the beginning of the service. How long, O Lord? That's the prayer. How long have we got to carry on suffering? How long before we hear something from God? How long do I have to continue to have this turmoil, this anxiety? How long? And for some people, it's a long time. We've all, we we know the verses in scripture that that tell us otherwise, that tell us, you know, seek and you will find, ask and, and it will be given, knock and the door will be open to you. And it's great to look at verses like that. But if we don't look at other verses that seem to suggest something different, we'll come away with a very unbalanced view of what the Bible actually says. And we might be disappointed when God doesn't 
answer our prayers or God doesn't do what we ask him to do or even as some people tell him to do. We need to have a balanced view of scripture and and understand that many of the saints and heroes of the Bible also went through some very difficult times when things didn't happen. And the difficulty is, is, is we want things now, don't we? We live in this instant world where nobody can wait for anything. You know, if you're, if you're a manager of a football club, uh, you might be given a couple of months. Uh, but if you don't get the results, you're going to get sacked because people want immediate success. And people want immediate and everything. And when it, we come to God, there's a sense in which we do. We want, we want to hear from God today. Now, in this situation, we don't want to wait. And uh, I love that verse in, in, in 2 Peter, when, uh, when we're reminded. Uh, but do not forget one th- this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. I love that verse. It's not slow as some understand slowness. I don't know about your understanding of slowness. Uh, but Peter's suggesting that God isn't slow to answer. As some understands, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, if, if God's not answered the prayer of your heart, the longing and desires of your heart, uh, don't mistaken that for God being slow. Or sluggish. How long, O Lord? That's the prayer. And again, the movement. Uh, We started with a problem. We went to prayer. And quite unbelievably, you know, talk about an unexpected ending. You know, you you sometimes watch these dramas on television. And uh, you follow it for week after week after week. And then it ends and you think, I didn't see that coming. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. It's the the person that did it, we hardly ever saw him. He's never been in it, and suddenly, suddenly he's the guilty party. Well, this psalm has an, an unexpected ending because how long, O oh Lord? Suddenly, David says, "But I trust in your unfailing love." You see, the real test of our faith is is actually when God seems distant. That's when our faith is really tested. When it feels as if God has forgotten us, that's when our faith is really tested. But I trust in your unfailing love. I wonder whether we can put our trust in God's unfailing love, despite the situations that we might find ourselves in, or the circumstances, or the unanswered prayers. Can we still trust in God's unfailing love? This apparently was written on a cellar wall in Germany during the Holocaust. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I cannot feel it. I believe in God even when he is silent. Can we still believe? Can we still trust in God even when he is silent? My heart rejoices in your salvation. And you think to yourself, what's changed? I'm going to say, what's, what's going on here? How come David has gone from the depths of despair to, to yelling and, and shouting and, and, and raising his, his fist at God to suddenly uh, being able to praise God? What's changed? Well, friends, the circumstances haven't changed. 
David's still stuck in that cave in the middle of nowhere with Saul trying his best to kill him. The circumstance hasn't changed. But what has changed is David's focus. Because his focus has shifted from his quite horrible circumstances to God's goodness and faithfulness. And something happens within David's soul. As he shakes his fist and as he gets angry and as he turns that into a prayer, something changes when he focuses on God rather than himself. He chooses to interpret his circumstances by God's love rather than to interpret God's love by his circumstances. So many people say, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care for me because of this and because of that. And they'll list some pretty horrendous things that have happened in their lives and they'll say that's proof that God doesn't care. And what we see in Psalm 13 is that David chooses to interpret his circumstances by God's love. He clings on to that fact that he believes that God loves him and cares for him despite his present situation and circumstances. And that does something to David and maybe it will do something to us. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Now this is this is just getting beyond belief, isn't it? That don't tell me that David's gonna start, you know, getting his tambourine and his guitar out and start praising God in this damp and dark cave when somebody outside is trying to kill him, he's gonna get his guitar out and start praising. And let me remind you that these Psalms uh, they weren't for individual use. These psalms were intended for corporate worship. So it was like, you know, the worship leader said, right, come on everybody, let's have a really good lament, let's have a really good moan, let's have a really good complaint. And the people would join in and they'd start complaining and they'd say, yes God, why don't you do something about this? Why don't you do something about that? How long, oh Lord, have we got to wait? And they'd all get in and one start another. You know, it's like when you, you sat in the office or you sat in the coffee shop and, and somebody starts complaining and you soon join in, don't you? You say, oh yes, it's terrible, isn't it? It's awful. It's horrendous. And we can all do that. Uh, but we never thought that that could be a useful tool in our worship, did we? Can you imagine if we'd started a service this morning and I said, listen, let's just, let's just have a bit of a complaint and a moan and you'd have thought, gosh, what's going on here? I came to praise God. I didn't come to complain. And we do that everywhere else. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. David goes from sighing to singing. David goes from complaining to contemplating. And David makes that journey from worrying to worshipping. Hey, did you know, you know when you worry about things and when you're anxious and when those thoughts are going round and round and you go over, maybe it's just me, you go over things again and again and again. Um, it's, it's just as easy to, to, to pray as it is to worry. It doesn't take any more energy. And it may even be more useful to us. From worrying to worshipping. In the leadership journal, Shane Hips says, Authenticity and integrity in worship means expressing both lament and praise. Each element complements the other. You know, it's a sham, isn't it, if we all come here and uh, we smile and we jump up and down for an hour uh, if our hearts are breaking. Uh, We're not fooling anybody. We're certainly not fooling God. And, uh, you know, we can express to God exactly how we feel. We can tell God exactly how it is. 
and he's okay with that. And so should we be okay. So should we be okay. Authenticity and integrity in worship means expressing both lament and praise because each element complements each other. How long, O Lord, can we make this similar journey that David makes in the Psalm 13? Can we go from sighing to singing? Can we go from complaining to actually contemplating on God's word and reminding ourselves that God is faithful and that God has promised time and time again that he will be with us? And even if we can't see it, and even if we don't feel it, then we have to trust that because God has said it, it is so.